If you messed up like I did when I was your age in college, know that God loves you just the way you are. Come here, seven-year NFL veteran Steve Grant at the 14th annual RUC Fundraising Banquet. The theme this year is Choosing to Win. Join us for this special evening at the Villa Milano on March 10th. Festivities begin at 6, followed by dinner at 6.30, and then the program at 7 p.m. Make your reservations today at relationshipsunderconstruction.com. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. Hey, it's great to be back with you. And you know what? We're setting a record, a modern record here, two weeks in a row. Oh, my goodness. I, what are we going to do? <laughs> We're going to have listeners who are going to be like, I... I I'm not used to this. I'm 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 used to like free runs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or me jabbering on about God, government, and governance. Well, that's not that's not jabbering. That's that's actually imparting uh, knowledge, wisdom, and education to people. So I'm good with that. Wow, is there a lot going on? Holy smokes! You know, we ran into this trouble when you were really sick. Like you're all better now. Ha ha ha. When you were yeah, well, really yeah, okay. <laughs> and you couldn't and you couldn't be online with me. And I was running reruns because just simply because I didn't have the confidence to come in and run one of these by myself. I like you found that it's not that it's not that difficult. Eh, well, it it is, but the fact well, that it, it is from the sense that you are actually running the board and trying to do the program. Yeah, the that's not the big deal part. The big deal part is getting an hour's worth of coherent thoughts out all at once and without going too down too many rabbit trails. You know me, man. I'm a I'm a jumper on rabbit trails. See, um, now I was right with you until you used the word coherent because that never describes what I do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to have you back and doing some banter like that. Uh, I, I told the people, I said, you know, I'm yearning for the days when Barry comes back and we're able to do what we usually do, and that's banter back and forth and uh, uh, hit the shuttlecock over the net to the other guy and have it come back. And if you don't, yeah, have- exactly. You don't know what a show yeah. is, uh, a play badminton or... Uh, That's right. What's the other one? Paddle ball. I think, although I think he hit a ball with that. Uh, hit a ball with that. That's part of the name. Right. Um, but, yeah. I, I forget. It's bad badminton and I forget what else uses a shuttlecock, but I haven't I haven't played that in a while, but it's always fun. But you're absolutely right. It's, it's good for us to go back and forth. And sometimes people may think we're being maybe a little irreverent or maybe not treating these type of stories with the gravity that they deserve. But folks, it's a perspective issue. And our perspective, I, I'll at least speak for myself, and I'm Chuck can aim in this if he wants to. Our perspective is we believe that God is sovereign over everything and nothing happens in this world without him governing it. And it being used, as Romans 8.28 says, that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So even some of the tragedies that we see out there, you know, sometimes you can take a look at it and say, that did happen. It is tragic. It is sad. Uh, It might make you upset and angry, but you have to realize at the end of the day, there is a bigger purpose for it. And since Chuck and I both, you know, submit, and bend the knee to the sovereignty of God, we certainly understand 
that all of these things are just temporary and they are unfolding other things that are going to happen that lead to the culmination of God's perfect plan for man on this planet. Yeah. And so yes. it really, it, we, we can take joy, not in the fact that there's tragedy, obviously not, but that we can take joy in the fact that even in the midst of tragedy, God is not being thwarted. The prince of this world, you know, Satan, the evil one, the roaring lion who's walking about seeking whom he may devour, is losing and has actually already lost, but will still continue to try to wreak chaos, mayhem, and havoc in order to try to get people to turn away from the promises of God, to turn away from the truths of the scripture, and to turn away from the only safety and security that we have in this life, and that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Yeah, think about how, how many times you've run into a boxer who knows he's lost the bout, but he is determined to inflict as much damage as possible on the other boxer who has won the bout. There's no doubt right. about it. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's, in, or if you watch chess, very often a chess player knows sometimes as early as the fifth or the sixth move that he's lost the board. Yes. But what he does is, okay, I'm going to capture every piece I can get. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to throw off the opponent's strategy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and or, or make it look like he's doing that. Or yeah. <laughs> Uh, but in any case, yeah, go on. I, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted there. Oh, no, 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 no. You did not interrupt at all. I mean, that that was pretty much it. But you know, folks, that's the reason why when we we record these things, we can record them in a manner that's more lighthearted and back and forth and hitting the shuttlecocks because you know we understand that even through the midst of all this tragedy, God's got something beautiful planned. We're just sitting here watching it unfold and hoping that we're in some way a part of it. Maybe not in every circumstance, everywhere, but in our own little sphere that God has given us for influence and for occupying until he comes, that we would be found, as Paul says, a good and faithful servant who was faithful in little and given uh, to be faithful in much. Right. And so so we're trying to be faithful in the little here by reporting these things, trying to put a you know perspective on them and helping people to, to unpack and understand what's going on. So, so, and we've got a lot to unpack. Today, Boy, don't John. we? I mean, my goodness. Obviously, the biggest issue that's on people's minds are UFOs. No, no, I'm, okay, okay, folks. Uh, we'll be talking about those in a minute, but I think we want to talk about the, the big 800-pound gorilla sitting in the middle of the China shop. And that is the train derailment of the Norfolk Southern Line in East Palestine, Ohio. Now, for those of you who have no idea where East Palestine is, it is in far northeast Ohio between Salem and Youngstown. And it's a, you know, up near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border, up near, you know, the Lake Erie area. And this train derailment was significant for a number of reasons. And as the days unfold on this, we are looking at, Chuck, I, I'm, I'm looking at what I think is a really an unprecedented and breathtaking amount of trying to pass the buck between a company and a government, <laughs> or at least at least one government, if not two governments. Oh, it's uh, it's two it's two governments. It's, it's it's two governments, the state and federal. Yeah, state and federal, and and it's all the railroads' fault. 
Now, there's a theory out now, and I, I would uh, we're never going to hear whether this is true or not. One of the problems that we're running into now is I just saw some. There was just another today, and we're recording on Thursday, the uh, February sixteenth, twenty twenty three, for our eighteenth February eighteenth, twenty twenty three show. Uh, just today, there was another derailment. Yes. So that makes 14 since the turn of the year. Beginning of the year. Beginning of the year, 14 yeah. derailment. Now, granted, not every train derailment is like a conspiracy no, theory, no. theorist, uh, yeah, fan, fantasy dream. This one might be, though. Uh, the East Palestine one has an awful lot of things going on around it. And probably one of the most concerning to, obviously, a lot of people, and it should be concerning to a lot of us, even though we don't live anywhere near East Palestine, Ohio, is the impact that these chemicals might have on our water system where it where it derailed is high up enough along with the feeders and the tributaries to come into the Ohio river at an early point and can come right down through the rivers and come right into the Mississippi basin. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And these are, yeah. and these are chemicals that you can't just like get at. You can't just filter the water and get rid of them. You know, you can try and it might help, but a lot of these chemicals that are, were part of this derailment and spill are, serious players and i mean chuck you've got the biochemistry background i don't so you know you know how bad some of these could be well believe it or not vinyl chloride which was the primary thing that was reported vinyl chloride can be picked Mm -hmm. up by a a carbon filter pretty well well that's good but you better change the element regularly the real problem is what you get when you burn the stuff not necessarily I'm glad you said that because that was exactly the tack that the train company, Norfolk Southern, the U.S. EPA, the state EPA, and the governors of both Ohio and Pennsylvania all got together and decided was the best plan for how to mitigate this spill was to have the company come in and do a what it quote unquote. And I think this is hilarious, Chuck. You know, we're going to get into uh, deconstructionist, postmodernist language here pretty soon Yeah, to do a quote-unquote, controlled uh, burning of this particular chemical, is vinyl chloride, and release those black smoke clouds of particulate and toxins into the atmosphere. <laughs> and yeah. so what happens when you burn vinyl chloride, Chuck? Well, vinyl chloride can yield two things. Vinyl chloride can yield what's called hydrogen chloride, which right? is... Right, which is not a fun thing to be... HCl. Now, HCl is a gas until you dissolve it in water. Then it becomes hydrochloric acid. But as a yes. gas, but as a gas, it's a World War One era toxic gas that was released by the Germans to maim and kill Allied soldiers during mm-hmm. World War One. And the other thing that you get out of it is phosgene, which is even worse. Which is a worse toxin which also was used as a toxic gas during World War I, uh, again, now, by the, isn't it, by the isn't, Germans. Isn't it, isn't it that, the, that there is a more common name for phosgene or a phosgene compound that was used in World War I? No, phosgene gas was, now, you're thinking of mustard gas. I'm thinking of mustard gas, Mustard yes. gas has a sulfur component. Ah, I see. I mean, it's really nasty. Uh, I mean, really, really nasty. Because you've, like you've been hearing things kicking. Ar- you've been hearing things kicking around on social media about mustard gas, and it was like, I wasn't. I wasn't sure that phosgene was just a component of mustard gas, or if it that's you know that was the 
scientific term for what is commonly known as. So well, I'm glad we cleared that up for people. Yeah, mustard gas uh, has a has a sulfur in in the thing. It's very similar in structure, however, and with that sulfur, when you add that sulfur into the mix, and there's a oh gosh, I think it, it, it's it's nasty. Now, what hydro hydrogen chloride will do when you breathe it in? Mm-hmm. It's not deadly in itself. What it does is it gets into your lungs and hits the moisture in your lungs, and then it turns the hydro yes. hydrochloric hydrochloric acid. And the same thing with the uh, um, with phosgene, it destroys your lungs and, and your right. mucus, and your mucous membranes, which you know, especially then and even now, will kill you. See, now Chuck, this is something you and I talked about this off air. Okay, when this derailment happened. The governor and others, along with the federal EPA and the state EPAs, came in and basically said that they were going to evacuate people from around the area. Because obviously we're dealing with these chemicals that are extremely toxic and dangerous, right? They're going to evacuate everybody. Do you remember what the radius of the evacuation was that was called for? One stinky mile. Okay, one mile. One mile radius. Now, that sounds pretty significant, right, folks? Well, I mean, East Palestine is a little bit bigger than a mile in radius, okay? The city itself is probably closer to two miles in radius. Chuck, as you were doing your backgrounding research, and we talked about this again before we came on air, folks. Chuck's been doing a lot of digging, and he's been, and God bless him. I mean, that's, that is one of the strengths that uh, makes this show uh, as, as informative as it is, is uh, my guy over there is a researcher and a historian par excellence. But this happened in World War One, and they used these chemicals, hydrochloric acid and phosgene and other things. What was the suggested safe space radius either troops or people in communities should be moving out of if those toxic chemicals were used yeah, during the wars? A lot of it depended on the weather and all that stuff, but generally it was considered your safe zone was at least 5,000 yards. Okay, the safe zone was at least 5,000. Now, folks, for those of you who maybe aren't quick on doing math, um, that's 15,000 feet. There are 5,280 feet in a mile, right? So that's nearly three-mile radius, which is the minimum expected safe zone. But really, Chuck, when you looked into it, they actually were really calling for double that, 10,000. Yeah, it really... Uh... Um, which is nearly six miles, folks. Right. They, they should have evacuated people from around that spot in at least a five to six mile radius. Now, they didn't do that, Chuck. They did it a mile. They started a burn. They let the company do a quote unquote controlled ha-ha, burn of pumping this stuff into the upper atmosphere by turning it from, I guess it's a liquid, and it, they did they burn it to a, a gas? What they did um, was uh, now. Now, now I'm not I'm not sure if these are solids or liquids. If vinyl chloride is a solid or a liquid, I it was in tankers, so I'm assuming it's a liquid. Vinyl chloride is a liquid, and okay. what what it's used for is actually very useful. It's it's used to make a uh, plastic like high density polyethylene. So, yep. uh, uh, pill bottles, um, your plumbing, some plumbing fixtures. Uh, PVC pipes, type stuff, pipes right? and stuff. PVC, polyvinyl chloride. Yeah, uh, polyvinyl just means uh, vinyl is a uh, a double bond between two carbons, and then when you have repeating units, it's called polyvinyl chloride. Uh, 
with chlorine on the end. The chlorine makes it reactive. Um, so that's the that's you got to have that so you can react the thing into in the in the uh, with a catalyst, usually a chemical catalyst or some other ca- uh, uh, platinum or um, what do they use? Platinum or iridium or there's a couple mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah, they make it mm-hmm. into polyvinyl chloride. They make it into uh, PVC polyvinyl chloride. Um, mm-hmm. But okay, that being said, the stuff is liquid. And when I was doing research on the, uh, ha- uh, I, I, you have to get into substacks to get any information. Uh, if you know what a substack is, a substack is a place where journalists can actually go and print things that their editors won't let them print. Um, and for instance, uh, uh, there was a guy uh, who was asking pointed questions of a journalist who was asking pointed questions about some of these issues and was arrested by the federal authorities. You mean during this event? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, he was a DC reporter for, I forget what the, the news outlet was, but he was a credentialed reporter and he was arrested by the East Palestine police and put in jail because yeah. he went into the, they were having the press conference, I think at like one of the gymnasiums or schools or something, or maybe the armory. And he was in there and DeWine was supposed to show up at like two o'clock in the afternoon and he didn't make it until like three. He was late. Yeah. So this guy was filming in the back, the back of the room. He was filming his intros and stuff for the video. And DeWine gets in there and starts going. I mean, and they basically told him he had to shut down. And he was like, you know, I got to film this, you know, and I got to have, you know, I'm trying to do my voiceover and get this done because we got to get, you know, to press. And they basically arrested him, I think, for uh, disturbing the peace that he was talking in the very back of the room while DeWine was starting his press conference. Now, the governor basically says he didn't direct anybody to, you know, do anything or, or, you know, arrest this guy. But I found it interesting that his adjutant general, who was on the scene, got into a shoving match with the reporter. Yeah. Now, stands stands to be, you know, determined if DeWine's going to actually take any kind of punitive measures against uh, his his adjutant general, who is a cabinet member, who's representing the state government in, in this particular instance. And is basically trying to keep a credentialed reporter from doing his job. Now, Chuck, oftentimes we beat the press up because of how bad of a job that they do. All right. And, you know, you've seen there's polls out there showing that the vast majority of the public right now do not trust the, the, the media in any way, shape or form. But when it's legitimate that that, that media personnel who had credentials, who was where he was supposed to be, he can't help it that the governor decides to like, you know, wait an extra hour from announcing, you know, this is like when DeWine used to do those, uh, the, the, the two o'clock in the afternoon updates on COVID. Now, again, he basically said that the COVID shots were safe and effective. And now he, and now he's been saying that, Oh, you know, a mile radius is perfectly fine. And Oh, it's great to come back to your homes now. Now they, they did this burn. And I think within 48 hours, they were telling people it was safe to come back to their homes. Now I, can I read something to you, Chuck, and, and from our Go folks? Ahead. Uh, this is from an article out of Breitbart News, and they have a quote. It says, according to Norfolk Southern Railroad, the controlled release process involves the burning of the rail car's chemicals, which will release fumes into the air that can be deadly if inhaled. 
based on current weather patterns and the expected flow of the smoke and fumes when they were doing the burn. Anyone who remains in the red affected area, that's the one mile radius, folks, is facing grave danger of death, period. Anyone who remains in the yellow impacted area, which is the two mile radius, Chuck, is at a high risk of severe injury, including skin burns and serious lung damage. Yep. Okay, now, folks, Norfolk Southern and the EPA and everybody else should have completely known what took Chuck, like, what, maybe an hour to find out through Substacks about the history of these type of gases and what they're used for and what the minimum safe distances really are. Yeah, any, um, anybody who's a, who's a student of history knows about gas attacks in World War One, And if you, you know, from the opening ones where uh, the Germans just simply – had tanks of stuff and they opened the valves and, and if the wind was with them, they were fine. But the Germans actually killed some of their own soldiers when the wind shifted. Yeah. Um, but of course, both the governors of Ohio and Pennsylvania said, Hey, it's all clear. Now you can come back to your homes. Uh, <laughs> and, well, and they did that yeah. and quote, quote, because the air quality samples that they were taking were quote at points below safety screening levels for contaminants of concern. Well, Chuck, were they actually, uh, testing for phosgene, or were they testing for vinyl chloride? You know, were they what? testing for for hi- for hydrochloride or hydrochloric acid? You know, what were they testing for? My my guess would be they're using an organic sniffer, which would have revealed any one of those things. Right, uh, and then the EPA basically says they've screened 291 homes and still have like 180 some left to go within. And I think that's within the one mile radius, uh, with no detection identified. Yeah. Well, I don't know about anybody else you know, today's, you know, the, as they're listening to this, it's Saturday. The day we're recording, it's Thursday. Chuck, it has been pouring down rain in my area since about five o'clock this morning. Okay. And it's still rain. Um, I'm wondering when they get the first good rainstorm up there, if there's not going to be any damage to the home from hydrochloric acids, um, to plants, to, uh, the, you know, ground contamination. And then we look at yeah. the water table. Well, I mean, think about it. if if we're talking about hydrogen chloride, the beauty of rain is that the more rain there is, the more dilute it becomes. Well, I, and so they so basically they need a rain like we're having right now in my area. Which yeah, we had a, an all day soaker. We had a pretty heavy rain today. It's not raining right now, but it's supposed to again. But uh, phosgene is uh, phosgene is one of those ones. Uh, the beauty of some of these things is they're labile. In other words, they're changeable or reactive in sunlight. Now, some people right. go, "Oh no!" But that's good because what it does is it breaks the bonds. So the it mo- breaks it breaks it down, so it becomes yeah. less. The molecule less comes apart. Yeah, be- molecule comes apart. <laughs> if you've ever put plastic out in the sun for an extended period, like like over a summer, and certain kinds of plastic, what happens to it? Well, it crumbles and it it breaks down. It gets brittle. Yeah, it gets brittle. Um, Plastic lawn chairs and that kind of stuff. That's what's happening. The sun is actually breaking down the the uh, the matrix that holds it all together. Uh, really, yeah. um, I, my worry would be some of the other chemicals that were in there. Now, some of the some of the train cars contain polyvinyl chloride. I came across a list of all the okay. chemicals, and there's some nasty stuff in there. And they're, you know, the waters, they're giving you the all clear to drink the water. We've tested wells and I'm like, 
sometimes it takes forever to penetrate into the the water table like weeks if you if you know the water cycle it rains but that rain doesn't reach the water table if you've got a deep well like 250 feet it won't right. get, it won't get down there for weeks or months as it soaks through the the multiple dirt rock uh sand all kinds of things layers till it gets down into the so i wouldn't i'll be quite honest first thing i'd run out and do is buy a uh, charcoal filter for my uh my well water um you know get one of those little ge things that you can buy a uh a whole house um charcoal filter for i i'd i'd be using that uh from now on uh you know is it permanent no it's not but it takes a while for that to wash out. Now, downriver where you are, Barry, uh, is where they yeah. need to be doing some work because that stuff is flowing down. Now, I, I saw a map where look at all these rivers that could end up contaminated. And I'm looking at it, and they're like clear up in Missouri and Montana. And Yeah, I mean, I think they were just showing that's the, that's the, the Mississippi watershed. Well, the implication was yeah. that those were potential yeah. contaminated spots, and they're not. And, and that was and that was a completely false. And, of course, they're also – I just saw some things where they've been posting up some of the communities up there in northern Ohio are like, guys, you know, water flows downhill. Yes. And our, their watershed flows south or downhill off the southern end of the Continental Divide. Ours – our whole watershed is north of the Continental Divide. Exactly. So therefore, there's no way the contaminants can get over into our watershed. Yeah. So stop worrying about the it. The Mississippi River does drain like the Red River and the Missouri River and the uh, uh, all those rivers to the west, but they mm -hmm. drain in, not out. Um, right, they drain in. That's right. And same thing, Ohio drains into the Mississippi. Is the lower Mississippi below... Uh, um, the point in Cairo, Illinois, where the Mississippi and the, uh, I think it's in Cairo, Illinois, where the Mississippi and the Ohio meet. Ohio meet, yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I looked at that, but I think it is. Uh, could you get some contamination there? Yes, you could. Uh, and every place, other place down from that point where the Ohio uh, drains into the Mississippi and down. Now that says nothing about what gets in the atmosphere. And if you saw now, I, I want one point I wanted to bring up, by the way, before I get to that is the fact that, you know, they're trying to blame the rail company for this. Well, the rail company deferred to the EPA who called in quote unquote experts. And I will remind you that experts are who got us into this COVID mess in the first place. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And the fact is that, uh, um, they called in experts who said, what you need to do is burn that off. That's the best way to handle it. I would have thought the best way to handle it would have been to try to write the train cars with the, uh, um, with the cargoes intact, but they didn't seem to think so. So that, and you know how they, how they, um, breached the tanker cars to light them on fire to do the quote unquote control burn. No idea. They punctured the tanks. They Lovely. Punctured the tanks with metal objects. And then they said, now we can control burn them. And when they set them on fire to control burn them, of course, they exploded. So the explosions that everybody was all worried about 
was caused by the experts again, who rather than, you know, I, now I am no, nothing like an expert on how to ride a train car and get it back on the track without leaking. I'll be the first to admit this. The things are heavy. You got to bring in heavy equipment. They may have worried about, uh, if, uh, uh, you know, uh, vinyl, vinyl chloride, uh, leaked and caught fire. And then, then they'd have to evacuate all this, these workers and blah, blah, blah. I, I get the whole thing. They might take a chance on losing the cranes and that kind of thing. But the mm -hmm. way they did this was the stupidest way possible. I, in my humble opinion, you, why does that not shock me in any way, shape or form? Now, speaking of stupid. Okay. And yes, folks, I'm, I'm calling it out. Um, we have, you know, when this is involved interstate commerce because of the Norfolk Southern Rail Line, which are federally regulated, that means that the federal government has to, and not just the EPA, but the federal government has to get involved. And that's the Department of Transportation, Chuck. Now, who is our Department of Transportation <laughs> Secretary under the Biden administration? Yes, it's, it's our old friend Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, yeah, or, uh, you know. Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete Booby Hatch, whatever it is. Yeah. But, um, you know, when this happened, Chuck, Pete Buttigieg was nowhere to be found. I mean, he didn't show up on the scene. I don't think he's, to this point, I don't think he showed up yet. He might have showed up yesterday. Oh, yeah. There was a town had, hall, he had a press. There was a town hall meeting. Yeah. There was a town hall meeting in East Palestine last night that first and foremost, because a friend of mine is a reporter, credentialed reporter for the Epic Times. And so he's up there on site covering all this. And when they got in there, you know, the community's up in arms. They decided, oh, we're not going to make it a town hall. We're going to put the sequester the media over here in this one corner and they can't ask questions. And then we're going to set up booths and the people can come up and ask somebody at the booth, but there's not going to be any public announcements. Well, that quickly deteriorated when people oh, yeah. really were angry. <laughs> And so they ended up having to do the town hall because, you know, it wasn't going to fly. The media wasn't going to let that fly. And neither were the, the citizens who, you know, are rightfully scared to death about what's going on. And, you know, their lives have completely changed. OK, folks, I mean, that's it, it's an entire shift of everything you thought was secure in your life is now insecure because of this. Buttigieg, here's his here's his commentary. Quote, I continue to be concerned about the impacts of the February 3rd train derailment near East Palestine, Ohio. Now, folks, this is a for his first comments. They were put out 10 days after the event happened. Chuck, 10 days for a PR response to a what's basically, you know, chaos. Really? Yeah. Are, are, really? And he keeps going. And he says, and the effects on families in the 10 days since their lives were upended through no fault of their own. It's important that families have access to, quote, useful and accurate information, unquote. <laughs> I think that may have been why it took 10 days for him to respond. They were trying to figure out what kind of spin they were going to put on. How are we going to doctor this thing to get ourselves out of Dutch and slough it off on the train company? Uh, yep. Now, it, does the train company have some... Uh, responsibility. Of course they do. They have, a, I would say they have the, the lion's share, especially when you hear, and I don't know if you heard this or not, 20 miles before the East Palestine stop, 
uh, yes. someone had advised the uh, the engineer and the brakeman that they had an overheated wheel. Right, because they have sensors at certain spots along the rail lines yes. that measure the temperatures. And so, and when a temperature goes above a safe zone, it fires off an automatic warning, which is sent to the conductors of the train. Right, exactly. And and they rejected it and decided to go on. Ah, we found out some more about this. They didn't necessarily reject it. They phoned in to their superiors, uh-huh. and their superiors told them to reject it. Okay, well. And so basically what happened is, 20 miles later with this basically, and I think it was a wheel bearing in the hubs that locked up. Uh-huh. Which if you've ever, Chuck, if you've ever had a car that the wheel bearings locked up in or you've towed a trailer that the wheel bearings have locked up in, you know, it doesn't take very long for that thing to get hot enough that it catches on fire. Absolutely red hot. It'll, it'll, it will blow a tire off, clean off the rim. Clean um. off the rim and, and it'll, and it'll set everything on fire. That's what happened to this train. Uh, it caught fire. Uh, because of this wheel and the wheel then finally just completely like seized up, disintegrated, boom. And there goes the, and there goes the train cars. Um, but this could, you know, this is very interesting, Chuck, because this particular scenario is one of the things that the rail unions were arguing for when they remember here last year when the rails were going to go out on strike and the Biden administration came in and through executive order, basically uh, killed the strike. One of the things that was in their list of things they wanted changed was the ability for the on-site employees, the conductor of the train, to be able to make the call about whether or not to stop the train if an issue came up like this. That was completely denied by the Biden administration in their executive order. Who benefited from that, Chuck? Right. The company, the company benefited from that so that they couldn't, you know, they wouldn't have any delays in their shipments. It'd be interesting to look at at uh, Joe Biden um, and some of his campaign finance reports. Now, let me and to see and to see how much money Norfolk Southern and their affiliated companies have given to Joe Biden before and after that executive order to stop the, to stop the strike from the railroad workers union. Well, here's one for you. Did you know that this train was not listed as a, uh, a hazardous material shipment? Huh. Well, okay. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty bold considering the fact that they were running multiple cars of hazardous materials. Yeah. Now one of the, I, I saw, again, I saw the list of, uh, 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 uh all the materials that were being hauled and they had a list of the things that were spilled. And the first thing I, one of the first things I noticed really close after the chemicals was semolina. Yeah. That's basically wheat guys. It's wheat flour, <laughs> wheat flour, wheat flour. Yeah. It's so, can be toxic too, which can explode too. If you get too much pressure in there. If you've ever worked a dairy farm and you've like been, you've been around silos, man, you have to vent those just right or else you can have some serious. Problems. I remember years ago, a, a, a wheat and corn silo in Columbus blew up, blew up. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. The, one of those great big silos, I think down there on the East side along 70 blew up because, uh, well, it flash fires when the, when the dust catches. 
Right. Uh, well, and it gets, and the point is that, you know, when you put that stuff in there, whether it's grain or whether it's like silage or anything else, it does have a moisture content. And if you put enough of it in there and pack it down, it builds up heat from the core. And oftentimes that heat will start fires and those fires ignite the dust and then kaboom. Yeah. Kaboom. They'll, they'll blow. Um, I mean, I used to, I, when I was a kid, I used to be on a hay route with my dad and there are a lot of places where we went and we, we would get bales of hay, you know, from a, from a farmer's barn to buy the cattle and you'd pull them down and you'd see smoke coming out of them because they were packed too wet and oh. they started and they started to catch on fire. I can still remember seeing hay that went up too green in a, um, and people oh, yes. pulling it back out of a barn is no, this can't be in here. Cause you, yeah, well, it, you go up we and ended it up having, Yeah, it'll smoke. We, we ended up having to, we ended up having to throw six bales out onto the ground, you know, away from everything because they were catching on fire. Yeah. Because they, they, because something had happened, they'd hit a wet spot in the field that they weren't paying attention to. And when they bailed these half a dozen bales, they had their moisture content was so much that when it was packed in there in a, what, what is it, a 90 pound plus bale, uh, wrapped up tight. It just started to smolder and to then yeah. catch on fire. Yep. And it would have burned the entire barn down because once those things light, they light up all the dryer hair around them. And then yep. you've got a real inferno. Spontaneous but, combustion. Yep. Spontaneous yeah, combustion so, is called. There's something coming out right now about this train. The workers on, for this train, this particular train set had warned the company days before this happened. Cause in the last, the week before this, derailment happened they had problems with the train as they say it, it was basically that um excess excess size they were hauling 151 cars chuck eighteen thousand tons on this train the, the train broke down in the days before it derailed in ohio so in other words they were pulling way too much um, and then it had problems on this route ahead of two days prior. Um, so it, it had left Madison, Illinois on the evening of February 1st. And before it crashed on February 3rd, it broke down. Now you find that interesting, Chuck? I do. They had a breakdown. They had a breakdown and they had to stop and they had to fix whatever it was. Obviously that threw their timetable off, right? So then. When they get there 20 miles outside of East Palestine and they get a temperature signal from the automatic sensors near the tracks that they got a problem and they call into their superiors. What are their superiors looking at? This train's already delayed. Let's get it. Just keep pushing. Time is money. We're, lo- we're losing money. Time is money. That's right. So basically 151 cars, 9,300 feet, 18,000 tons. Not, and it did, and it that. did, Not. and with a, with a breakdown. So guess what? It did what everybody would have expected it to do: to have a mass, have a critical mass failure, and cause this derailment. Think about that—the length of that thing. Nine thousand yeah. three. Okay, that means that it's a thousand feet short of being two miles long. Exactly, a thousand feet short of being the at least minimum distance that they should have been clearing everybody out yeah. from the town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it's 9,300 feet long, because um, the a uh, if, think about this, if miles 5,280 feet, 
uh, two miles is 10,560 uh, uh, feet. Right. So you're just 1,200 feet, a quarter of a mile short of being, um, right. Of, of being two miles long. That's a big train. That is that's huge. only tw- it, it, Chuck. That's only twenty cars. That's only twenty more cars on one hundred and fifty-one. Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. the cars are about sixty feet long a piece, plus the hookups and things. So you're looking at less than twenty more cars, and it would have been over two miles long. Yeah. Now, uh, is that necessarily a big deal? Yeah, it is because the rails. That's, we we that's don't a huge deal. We don't maintain rails like we're supposed to. No. Um, the 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 companies don't maintain rails like they're supposed to and but but beyond that right now i'm starting to hear things that I, i'm trying to find uh, a report on this but that one of the problems we're having with all suddenly all these derailments is that people are stealing the railroad spikes for scrap uh yeah or for art or what other other things um and it's and it's not just the spikes. I mean, some of them are stealing some of the uh, the cross ties. And what that does is that changes the the rail gauge oh, on the sure. rails after they warm up and cool down and warm up and cool down. They start to spread or to contract. And Chuck, even though there's an awful lot of weight going on, if you've got an unbalanced uh, set of rails, it won't be long before it's going to cause a problem. Oh, not at all. No, no, those things are, are, are the gauges are set precisely now on curves yep. and things. Um, one of the, Even worse, yeah. yeah, railroad ties can walk the longer and the faster a train is going, especially around a curve, the more the, the track can walk. And when the track walks, it tries to walk itself into a straight line. Okay. So what yep. it does is. There are there used to be crews that went around to straighten those things. Now there, if you you've looked at a railroad track really close, it's essentially a, an eight by eight or a ten by ten, uh, uh, coated in creosote to keep it from rotting, and set in uh, like number five limestone. Usually depends where you, what part of the country you're in, but ground gravel that's ground into great big pieces. Why? Because the the uh, the ties won't um, won't move as much because they got rough edges and that kind of thing. There's friction involved. Uh, nonetheless, uh, for years they've known a, one of the problems is that train tracks will move in in a curve. Mm-hmm. Or if the or if there if the ties rot, the gauge will change. As you mentioned, yeah. the, the gauge is the width between the two sets of wheels. Um, that's why when you hear, uh, this train was narrow gauge, this train was a wide gauge and this train was a medium gauge. Well, because the, in the early days of the railroad, you didn't have standard, um, gauges. Now, pretty much you do, uh, the, the gauge, I forget what it is now and it doesn't matter. You can look it up. Um, but, uh, in the old days, you know, you would have to pull into a station um, there were places that became hubs like St. Louis, I think had a thing. Uh, some of the Southern ports had a place that would come in as the Northern gauge and you switch trains. You actually took all the cargo off and put it in a train with the narrow gauge on it. That's what they did. And that's how they became big hubs. 
railroad. Yeah. So when that gauge changes, real easy to derail. Too wide, too narrow, either one, you'll derail the train. And it's surprisingly easy to derail a train. Now, you're not going to derail it. When we were kids, you know, we used to go down to the Hebron, had a uh, a train running right through it out to the to the big uh, um, grain elevator there uh, with a spur line that came in from Newark. And we'd go out and lay panties on the track. Oh, yeah. Um, and the train would come along and crush the panties. Uh, yep. you, you could put rocks, small rocks on the track, and all the train did was powder the rocks. But if you put too much stuff on there, you will derail the train. And so they pretty much kept us away from the tracks as much as they could, because all it takes is one kid doing something stupid that they, you know, uh, who it's one of those books like your kids get who would win. Have you seen those? Uh, Mm, no, but yeah. Uh, uh, Cape Buffalo versus, uh, you know, uh, a Jaguar, which one would win? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my granddaughter just got one, two different kinds of ants, which one would win. But well, in the case, sometimes a little kid can win if he puts the wrong thing on the railroad track. Um, (laughs) um, so you have to keep that in mind, but also, uh, don't kid yourself that there aren't elements in the United States who think that uh, causing chaos by derailing trains isn't a good idea. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, we see in this kind of stuff all the time. But I want to roll back a little bit because Pete Buttigieg, whatever you want to call his name, I, I, I think he's a loser. Um, yeah, Pete Loser. He, there you, go. you know, like I said, train derailed on February 3rd. It took him till the 13th to put out a statement or put out any kind of a tweet or whatever. Uh, 10 days. What was he, what's he been doing in the meantime, Chuck? I mean, you know, cause you know, we're taping this on the 16th, 13th was Monday. What else was he doing? Well, we come to find out because Pete Buttigieg had to go and speak as part of his, you know, role as the secretary of transportation for the United States to the national association of counties conference, which was taking place this week. So when he gets there on Monday, you know, and he did this on Monday, Chuck, this, this is the day he tweeted out the thing about Norfolk Southern. He was giving a speech to the Association of Counties. Do you think that he talked about the East Palestine train derailment and Ooh. particular things that they want to do? No. You know, this is what Pete Buttigieg talked about. And I quote, he urged attendees to, quote, really work with organized labor to work with your contractors, to work with your community colleges on holding a workforce that reflects the community, unquote. In other words, what he's saying is there are too many white people working in construction and we need to have uh, equity and uh, diversity in construction, in the construction business. Huh? Yes, thank you. You got there before I did. I wanted to bring this up too, so thanks. Um, Please, go right ahead. Is it not absurd that here we are I would call uh, 14 derailments in less than 60 days. Right. Um, maybe a crisis. Uh, maybe we better get to the bottom of it. Maybe we better find out why all this is going on. No. What's he talking about? Well, I don't see people with the right colored faces under the hard hats in construction zones. That's what he said. Okay. 
there there are a myriad of reasons for that. Some of them completely explainable and natural. Other ones, maybe not. That's not the point. That's not what we need to be talking about right now. More affirmative action uh, is not the answer to finding out why trains are derailing and why uh, train companies are not following the proper um, maintenance schedules. Uh, right. is very often what you find out when you uh, is that uh, train companies are e essentially limited on what they can charge on their rate structures. So in other words, if you can't make enough money to run a rate structure that allows you to run regular maintenance on your lines, what happens? They put it off. Of course they do. Now, I think it's very interesting because Buttigieg thinks that he's smart enough that he knows where the real cause of all this problem is. And he also quoted on this, he actually did say a few things about what was going on in East Palestine at this conference. Uh, not nearly as much focus as he did on, you know, equity and inclusion. But what he did say was that, quote, uh, we're constrained by law on some areas of rail regulation. And he blamed Donald Trump for it. <laughs> well, of course. So how Okay. How many did sun didn't bad, rise? Dude. You know what? The sun didn't rise today is exactly 7.03 a.m. As, as it was supposed to do. It's Donald Trump's fault. <laughs> Orange Buttigieg, man bad. Orange man Buttigieg, bad. Yep. Buttigieg has TDS badly. And actually, what happened was when the um, train companies came in with their lobbyists and tried to push for changing these regulations, Trump's administration blocked it because it wouldn't have actually created any kind of positive benefits. Because, you know, you remember when they were looking at regulations, they were cutting regulations everywhere. Right. And they were cutting them in a reason in order to open up some of the economy, get things rolling, get some of these, you know, American companies back to being American companies and not Chinese subsidiaries. Yes, exactly. Matter of fact, you matter fact I'd love, I, 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 I didn't look this up, but I wonder if Norfolk Southern is a wholly owned American company or if it's actually a sublet of some uh, foreign national group from, you know, that's Saudi a, Arabia, China or other great places. Great question. Great question. We'll look, we'll look that up and hopefully have that on the next program. Well, Barry, uh, the, I don't want to look it up right now in the middle of uh, recording. So the, the fact is that you cannot have major manufacturing in this country without the infrastructure to carry the manufactured goods and the raw materials. And that's the railroads, um, railroads and, and highways and, and, and trucking yeah. and trucking. But the fact is, if you've got to carry large amounts of steel. Yeah, you can't do it on a truck. And you can't do it on a plane, so you got to do it on rail. Yeah, planes are out. Uh, trains are okay for point to point, but if you really want to get it there, it ships by rail, uh, large amounts. Um, and the fact is that our rail networks, uh, we've got busybodies basically out there converting old rail networks, uh, old rail routes to bike paths. Now, if you tried to revive those railroads right now, all the bikers would go nuts. You can't take our bike trails away. Look, we need your bike trails uh, to go back okay, to, to railroads. I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to solve that problem. 
we're going to take your bike and we're going to take a train car and we're going to run them at each other. And the one that survives <laughs> the crash wins. Yeah. Uh, you see the humanity <laughs> of all that? Yes. Yeah, look, yeah. But, but, uh, how but about here's, if we... here's Buttigieg blaming Donald Trump for this, for the train derailment when it's like, and everybody just should say stop and go back and say, your boss, Joe Biden, signed an executive order which forced the train unions back to work and eliminated or denied one of the requests they had for reworking the contract was to let the point source employees be able to make the call if they had a dangerous situation going on. So who's responsible for this train derailment? Which administration? Please, folks, let's 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 look at this. It isn't Donald Trump. I know it's convenient for the left to blame Donald Trump for everything. Okay. Right. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg well, is showing that he is incompetent. He is a he's a he's a political flunky who has he's so underwater and out of his depth with this job that it's ridiculous. The guy takes four months off so that he and his homosexual lover hubby can adopt a child. Um, folks. We are being run by clowns and fools in this country right now. Uh, the chief of which is being being the the um, the dementia patient sitting in the White House. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's that's and, that's pretty and, much it. And frankly, we're seeing the fruit of. It. You're seeing fourteen train derailments. So I don't know if you could look it up real quick or not. How many train derailments were there in the U.S. last year? You know, and then two years ago, three years ago, how many trained Romans? I mean, I'm seeing that this is the this is the bitter fruit of the bad decision making that the uh, Biden administration is doing. But it's just interesting to see. Now, granted, you got to be careful here some because, like I said, social media is a place where you take something that may be a fairly standard occurrence and you blow it up into a vast. But we don't want to blow everything up into a vast conspiracy theory unless there's something to think about regarding what's going on. And I think that there was just a series of really bad decisions, starting with the Biden administration, going down to the company, Norfolk Southern, and then going down to, you know, a probably a, a an employee, a, con, a conductor of this train, who was afraid of losing his job because if he bucked the, the management who were telling him push on and he stopped the train, he'd probably lose his job. But of course, then we wouldn't have a what what some are calling one of the worst ecological disasters in the history of the United States taking place right in our own backyard here in Ohio. Uh, it's absolutely asinine that these people are in the administration. They're in public office. Pete Buttigieg should resign. The guy can't even come up with a quote for 10 days because he's sitting back worried about what kind of political fallout it might have if they come out there and say, whoops, we made a mistake. I'm looking there. There were several uh, serious train derailments in 2022. And uh, at one point in October, there were six train derailments in 36 hours. Yeah. So, I mean, train derailments happen. Um, but you what in October? Yes. Wasn't that right? Wasn't that right around or right after the time that Biden 
uh, did the executive order on the on the train workers. Well, I think the the uh, part of the point of bringing a lot of that up was saying, "Hey, these are the problems we face." Right. Um, you know, temporary switch malfunctions. Uh, you had uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it was out of the way of ongoing traffic, but uh, blah, blah, blah. I I'm looking at some of the stories. Uh, Tacoma, Washington, Eugene, Oregon, Bossier, Louisiana, Gibson County, Indiana, Houston, Texas. Uh, yep. And... Ornville, Maine. Uh, yeah, so there, yeah, this was around the time of the, now, okay, that points to another question. Okay, and I just found out it was the 2nd of December that Biden signed, and it was, and I keep saying executive order, please forgive me, folks. It was, it was a piece of legislation that came through to block the strike, uh, but it also blocked a lot of the things and denied a lot of the things that these workers right, are saying right. were, were serious safety hazards. And which we now know was a serious safety hazard. Well, there's also the possibility that fanatics inside unions, not, not this is not, not cutting down on union members per se. I think most of them would uh, want to have this kind of thing stopped. But there are people who are more militant in, in labor movements who are more than willing to do to uh, monkey wrench. Uh, and cause a train derailment. Um, you know, all it takes is one or two, uh, and uh, the rest of the guys are like going, yeah, see, we're going to get the blame for this, uh, especially during a period when they're uh, preparing to strike for their, you know, for uh, better working conditions. Um, it, I, I'm not saying that's a probability. I'm saying it's an outside possibility. So, well, you know what, Barry? Oh, okay. Where? Go ahead. Okay. I got to. I got to throw this out here right quick. First of all, Biden's press secretary came out today and said that uh, Biden has full confidence in Mayor Pete, you know, <laughs> Secretary Buttigieg. But we've had a second train derailment in Ohio with toxic chemicals, and I'm trying to find out what's going on because now they're talking about two of them. Okay. And East Palestine being the one, so. Looks like we may have had another one here, and I'm not sure because I can't find uh, the links. I'm, I'm on MSN, and the links don't want to go to the link. You know, they've got it all highlighted, but it won't go anywhere. Yeah, that means that. Well, we'll yeah. dig into this for ne for the next program, folks. But you know, that's that's where it is right now, where the administration basically we have full confidence in him, while the things are falling down around his ears. Yep. Well, we're out of time. Uh, March 10th, 6.30, between 6 and 6.30, the uh, um, Relationships Under Construction Banquet, uh, Villa Milano, Westerville, March 10th, again. Uh, please come and uh, help us, www.relationshipsunderconstruction.com. That's relationshipsunderconstruction.com. And uh, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And visit us on Facebook. We do have a principled policy webpage. Uh, please join us again next week for another principles and policies. If you messed up like I did when I was your eighth in college, know that God loves you just the way you are. 
Come here, seven-year NFL veteran Steve Grant at the 14th annual RUC Fundraising Banquet. The theme this year is Choosing to Win. Join us for this special evening at the Villa Milano on March 10th. Festivities begin at 6, followed by dinner at 6.30, and then the program at 7 p.m. Make your reservations today at RelationshipsUnderConstruction.com. 